Well, good morning again to everybody and hello online community. Um, you know, one of the funnest things I've been doing lately, you guys, is that I've spent this fall, I've spent quite a bit of time connecting, Zooming, FaceTiming with our missionaries around the world and some of our mission partners here. It's been really fun for me to do. And, uh, and you know, one of the things I'm most challenged by with it and just so excited by is the sense of the calling on all of these people's lives. Like these people have experienced calls, right? Like, we, like some of us who went to the... Um, <clears throat> the um, uh, City Impact Day, you go into the Tenderloin and you realize the people that are working there and living there and leading those ministries, you're like, they have got a call on their lives, right? And you're like, what are you doing down here? And they're like, well, I was here and I was doing this. And then the Lord was like, I want you to move down to the Tenderloin and live with these people and love them. And, and, and they did it. Like the call on their lives is kind of crazy. And I sometimes it's a little intimidating to listen to and see the call on people's lives when we think about it. Um, We've had our friends Patrick and Alexis McClure and their four children up here a few times. You can maybe picture them on the couch, you know, like, like, you know, writhing like bored preteens and children, and they're just like at church with us. And the funny thing about that, we, I think we just laugh about those guys, is because they so they look like this little suburban family, and they were. They were in the suburbs in uh, in northern Washington. He was a principal. She was a teacher who was now an at-home mom, involved in all the stuff and the PTA. And somewhere along the line. God was like, I want you in Uganda. And they're like, okay. And they did, you know? So like that calling on their lives was so dramatic and so fun to listen to, 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 uh, to them talk about it. Um, I was on the phone a couple times, uh, Zoom calls and on the FaceTime with uh, Nathan Jansen this week. Some of you guys that are older in our church know that name. Nathan's dad was a pastor in our church like 25 years ago. And, uh, and Nathan's a kid who grew up in our youth ministry who going on a youth mission trip um, here with our students started to sense how much he loved the adventure of being out there for God uh, and ended up continuing to go on mission trips. He served in Papua New Guinea with his sweet little family when his kids were little. Like, who, like how do you get a call to Papua New Guinea for nine years with your babies? Like, it's so awesome. And the stories that they have to tell and the way that God worked through them, but that clarity of like, yeah, no, this is what God asked me to do. And I've been on the phone with him because we're actually gonna start supporting him again, our church is, because he's taken a new, because after he left Papua, he did some other uh, ministry and, uh, and now is on a, another faith-based support raising ministry where he's gonna be on one of the mercy ships docked in Africa that is... It's 10 months in Madagascar. He's given them a two-month commitment where it's a fully uh, outfitted, retrofitted hospital ship where they do healthcare and they're just gonna be blessing and loving uh, this particular city in Madagascar and just meeting needs and doing ministry. All the people who live on board, like the doctors and nurses, he, like, he's gonna be the executive director and like the lead pastor of the whole ministry and keep it Jesus-focused and that's his job. And uh, we're gonna be supporting him. But his call was like, We've been living in, in uh, Seattle. We're going to now go to Madagascar. I'm not even sure I could understand. Like, if the Lord's like, you're going to go to Madagascar, I'd be like, I don't even understand the words. Like, I don't even know where that is. But he has this call on his life, and it's super clear. There's another new ministry partner that you're going to get to know. Her name is uh, Anna Angula. And uh, Anna, or Anna is uh, from Nicaragua, and we're just trying to figure out all the legal ways to give to this woman in Nicaragua. She lives in a little town where she grew up. She lives on the edge of the dump. She ministers to all the families that are ministering there. 
It's her hometown. She has a couple of micro businesses that kind of help. She feeds like 80 kids a day. A lot of them have to stay with her. They, she ministers to all these people that are just hand to mouth and working. They just go glean in the dump for a few pennies a day is basically how they live. The poverty is ridiculous and therefore the hopelessness becomes ridiculous. Uh, it's just a, an incredible environment. We know her because our students have gone down and worked with her on a mission trip a couple of different times. And um, so we're gonna figure out a way to support her. And it was so wild to talk to her about it. Um, she doesn't have like a US 501c3 sort of covering to make it all legal. And so I'm kind of talking to her about how we can give money to her. And I'm like, well, how do you live? Like, how do you? And I started realizing I was asking first world questions that she was, well, they're not first world questions. They were secular non-Jesus questions to someone who has a call on her life. I'm like, well, how do you live? Like, how do you like, like, how do you live? <laughs> and she's like, uh, well, like, I'm trying to understand the stupid American question. Um, like, I, uh, I, I, would you pay rent? She's like, well, no, I actually live in a little apartment above the building we built where the kids come in during the bad weather or when their parents are, have disappeared and they got to stay with us for a while and where we feed them. And I just kind of live upstairs. And I'm like, okay. Well, what about your personal budget? Like, where's your, like, grocery budget? Like, she's like, well, we feed, like, you know, 80 to 100 kids a day. And they, uh, you know, there's usually enough food for me. And my people in that, and I'm like, okay, so what about your 401k? Like, I mean, I didn't know how to ask the questions, and like, finally, you know, it's like, she doesn't have a salary. She doesn't, like, that's not how, that's not how it's functioning. She just knows God said, you come here, and you love these people, and you feed the hungry, and you clothe the naked, and I will take care of you. And she's like, okay. Now, I want to be all about that. I want to be with that. But her call on her life, isn't that incredible? We hear those stories, though, and it makes us at the end of this series of, uh, or at the end of this, this time of talking about a life in Christ that's involved. That's where we've been. That's a life in Christ that's involved. We go, how do, how do I find a calling? So what's my calling? And if the stories we have, and that's the title of my sermon, so do I have a calling? Like, and essentially, we're asking the question, how do I serve Jesus? Because if it doesn't look so clear and radical as I was in Bremerton and now I'm in Uganda, and by the way, the McClure's have moved on to Kenya because as they started to submit themselves to following the Lord's call, he's like, you're done in Uganda, I want you in Kenya. But that seems so dramatic because it's romantic and it's out there and it's in another part of the world, but we have to ask the question if we're going to move toward a life in Christ that's involved and I'm understanding my spiritual gifts, which Ben preached about two weeks ago. And I'm understanding the, the need for my own personal and public righteousness, these acts of kindness as Jesus taught, being light to the world. That was last week's sermon. What's my calling? How do I look at my calling? And I want to demystify that a bit, and I want to kind of help us lead into that conversation. Here's a spoiler alert, by the way. Your calling is really not about a place like your calling is to Madagascar. And your calling is not even necessarily to a particular ministry like you're called into the ministry. You're going to go to seminary and be a pastor. Here's the spoiler alert. Your calling is about you being you. And all that God has given you and all that God has led you to and everything that is in your sphere of influence and history and story is your calling. It's the beginning of understanding your calling and define it. 
So that's where we're going to go this morning. And I, to go there, I wanted to, I decided to bring us to a passage of scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 1. You can look at it in the scriptures in front of you. You might, I'll have it all up here, but if you want to open a Bible or open your, your uh, device, you can find it, 2 Timothy chapter 1, because you might want to keep it in front of you as we also go to other slides, whatever's helpful for you in studying the scriptures. But the context of this is that um, this is Timothy. The books, books of First and Second Timothy are—they're uh, not written by Timothy. They're written to Timothy, and they're written to Timothy from Paul. And Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus, which is now in Turkey. And Paul at the time is in Rome, and he's writing to Timothy to help him figure out how to do his ministry and reaffirm in him his call to what God's asked him to do. Because Paul helped set him up to become a pastor of this church in Ephesus. And he's now helping his mentee really lean into his call. And there's some words in here about his call that I think really became, I'm like, this is mine and Ben's heart for you. Like this is, like we want you to find your call this way. And I think we can learn something from Paul's message to Timothy. This becomes our message to you. You ready to dig in, do a little Bible study? Um, we'll read through the, the whole passage first and then, and then I'll go back and make some points. Second Timothy chapter one, starting in verse three. I thank God, Paul says, whom I serve as my ancestors did. Like I'm in a long line of serving God this way with a clear conscience as night and day. Why is his conscience clear? As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And that's the word of the Lord. I can't wait for you to study this passage. I'm so stoked about it. I had such a great hour last hour. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's go back. Let's parse it a little bit. As you study scripture, you got to kind of break it down and be like, what's this saying, right? Let's look at verse 3 and, and uh, where we begin. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. I, I'm thanking God with a clear conscience. Because night and day, basically he's saying, because night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. The first thing Paul, when Paul's going to engage with Timothy and talk about his calling, it's interesting. You may have realized I was saying, we're going to talk about calling. And then you read that passage and you're like, he's not talking about calling. The first thing he says to Timothy when he says, I'm going to talk to you about your calling is he goes, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And I want you to know, church, that we're praying for you. And this isn't just a platitude. So that's the first thing, first point, verse three, we're praying for you. I, this isn't a platitude to just say, good luck out there, like, be praying for you. This is actually a theological reality that is rooted in your calling, and here's why, what, what this means. First of all, it's rooted in the fact that God's the only one that can give you a deep understanding of who you really are in your place of service. That's God who does that. That's why we're not a cult. That's why we don't come and go, here's what I need you to do. God does that, so we're going to be praying for you that he will encounter you, that your faith in him will be authentic, that your walk with him would be spirit-filled and real, and so that you are gonna be encountering the risen Jesus to lead you to where you need to be and who you need to be in those contexts. We believe that, so we're gonna pray for you. That's not our thing to tell you what to do. Secondly, the reason why this is a theological reality is we and why we're praying for you is because you're gonna need Jesus if you're gonna serve him in this world. And so we're gonna pray for that. 
We're going to pray for the power in that. We're going to pray for the help, the rescue, the transformation. You're going to need Jesus. And we cannot be there with you. And that's sort of related to it as well. That's a third thing. This is why we're praying for you, because it's your ministry, not mine. It's not ours. I can't walk in your shoes. I'm not at work with you. I'm not dealing with your sister with you. I'm not dealing with the kids when they're up in the middle of the night at your house. Like, I can't. I'm not. So I'm praying for you that you would have power to be the person that you need to be in your setting. And so we actually have... No, I don't want to say it that way. We, we haven't delegated the ministry. The ministry of Marin Covenant is you. And we can't help. So we pray for you. Like, I can't do it with you. You're doing it. With your gifts, your sensitivities, your place, your people, you're doing it. And I can't be there. Super. I mean, it's right out of this text. It's right out of the scriptures. Because Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want to encourage you in your calling in Ephesus. But I'm in a dungeon in Rome. And I'm no help. And that's how we are. I'm no help to you in your ministry. And so we're going to pray for you. So part of the calling piece is it is something that you own that is empowered by the Spirit. It's all you. We're going to be praying for you. We're on your team, but we can't do what you do. And so we're going to be behind you in your prayer. uh, In prayer for your ministry. By the way, when I say we're on your team, I'm kind of embodying this metaphorically by saying, Jeff and Ben, this is our prayer for you. It's actually Jeff and Ben and all of our pastors and all of our staff. It's also Jeff and Ben and all pastors and our staff and our leadership team who pray and weep and ache for this ministry. It's also Jeff and Ben and all of our leadership team and and staff, pastors and staff and leadership team and all the other leaders in the church. And it's all the people in your small group who are on your team, who are with you, who are praying for you. It's Jeff and Ben and the pastors and the leadership team and all the other staff and your small group and the people in your text thread that are your people when you go walking into a meeting, don't know how it's going to go. I need the power of God. I want to be God's woman right now. I need some prayer right now. Are you people with me? And they're the ones that text back. That's who are on the team. When when Paul goes, listen, if you want to figure out your calling, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. That's what we want to see happen with you. We're praying for you, and we hope that you've got a team of people praying for you. There's probably another place in my sermon where I'm going to get to this, but I'll just say it right now. If you're like, oh, that's so beautiful, but I ache because I don't have those people, we want to find you, help you find those people. We want you to have those people in your world. We want you to live such a way that you're living engaged with folks who are on your team in your calling. So I hope that inspires you to be like, yep, I'm going to live that because that is powerful. Paul goes on. So he goes, okay, so Timothy, I'm praying for you. Then he goes on, verse four. He says, he's still not talking about his calling. He goes, recalling your tears. Timothy, I saw your tears and I longed to see you so that I might be filled with joy, so that I might be filled with joy. This is a funny phrase. Paul's like, man, I remember how sad you were. And we actually don't know why Timothy was, had tears. We don't really know what that's about. He goes, but I remember you were struggling. I longed to see, with you, see you so I might be filled with joy, which is a funny thing. <laughs> so you'll be filled with joy. What Paul's saying, it really, I think he's, he's also saying, I long to see you, and I, I don't know that I can bring much because Jesus is the one that meets you in your struggles. But I'll be overjoyed to be present with you. Oh, man, that'll preach. But as regard to the calling, listen, here's where I see this. He's acknowledging Timothy, your life and your calling is not going to be easy. 
Your life and your calling. We know life is not easy, you guys. It's my second point. So one, number one, we're going to talk to you about your calling. We're going to be praying for you. And secondly, we're going to acknowledge that life and calling is not easy. You're serving Jesus is not easy, and we know that. And I want to tell you that because we're not assuming that you're already, you're good, you're good. Everything's good. Everything's rosy. Everything's sunshine. There's no obstacles in your life. You're finally not struggling financially. Your marriage is finally absolutely perfect. None of your kids are misbehaving. You have no insecurities about the future. Your health has not one, there's not one limp or gimp in going on with you. Like everything's awesome so you can serve Jesus. And so what happens is if you think that's what we're saying, you come in here and you're looking around and you're like, really? Okay, um, you're hearing this from up front. You're like, well, then I'm out. Like, I don't have a calling because I'm limping, because my kids aren't doing well, because I have four jobs right now, but like all the things. And that we're acknowledging you guys, if we want to talk about calling, that it is not easy and it's never going to be all together. And we're not just sitting waiting for life to be fine so we can serve Jesus. When you hear us saying, let's figure out who we are in the context that God's put us in. Let's live out our calling. We are understanding and appreciating and empathetic with the fact that life is difficult and there's hard choices and our circumstances get hard. We know the internal pain and struggle and all of that is assumed that while we live for Jesus, we're gonna be in that state of imperfection, brokenness, and hard times. It's a thing. We know that. And I want you to know that. We want to say that and put it on the screen. Say, we want to talk to you about your calling. We haven't talked to you about your calling yet. All we're saying is we're praying for you and we get it's hard. That's all we've said so far. But we want to tell you that because we want you to be comforted by the fact that we under, that, that there's empathy, that everyone in this room has the same empathy for everybody else in the room to say, man, I want to follow Christ and this is not easy in, in our life today. And we want you to know that we can serve Jesus even in the midst of all of our imperfections and all of our difficulties and all of our circumstances that aren't going right, we can still live out a calling to be God's woman, God's man, everywhere he puts us, even though things are hard. So that being said, Paul now starts to turn the corner and he's gonna talk about calling and he actually starts with acknowledging Timothy's story up to the present. And it's sort of related, he's like, listen, you got some tears, I know things are hard, and, but all of that is part of this story that has gotten you to this place. Look at this, uh, verse five. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. What's he saying there? He's saying, you have a story that led you to this moment. You got some tears You've got a history, you've got some family dynamics, but you have a story that led you to this moment. And we want to say that to you guys as well. That's our point here. You've got a story that led you to this moment. And everything that you're facing right now is part of that story that has led you right here. So when we say, let's, li- like, let's find out who God has asked us to be. Let's live into our calling as serving Jesus. It's all rooted in your story that has led you to this very moment. Everybody has a story. Everybody, like where you live now is part of a story. Everybody has a story. What you struggle with has led you to this point in your story. Everybody has a story. Your job right now or your lack thereof has led you to this very moment. Everybody has a story. The way in which you interact with your 
spouse, the way in which you do your dating life, the way in which you live out your singleness, all of that is all to where you are right now and it all affects you. You have a story that led you to this moment. So if we say the key to, being, to, to finding our calling is you being fully you right here where God has put you, You've got to take into account the reality of that story, which can be rough and actually pretty brutal at times. And we want to say this, that story, ready church, that story does not define you, but it shapes you and has shaped you. And it will be defining as part of your calling. Everything in your story is part of your calling because it's what you bring to the table. Thanks be to God that he can take even the hardest things in our story, even tragedies, even mistakes that we make, even our deep brokenness, and he can use it to be part of our calling. Is that good news? Do you believe it? So when you're like, what's my calling? Part of the things we do is we go, I got all this stuff. I'm divorced. I'm this. I'm that. I got all these things. I got these troubles. I got these kids that aren't doing well. Like all of that is part of your calling. We just had the, uh, Ben was mentioning, we had the couples retreat this weekend. We had three sessions, Friday and Saturday. And um, this is actually what we did on the couples retreat. I, I was like, Lord, what should we do on the couples retreat? And the Lord's like, you know what I want to do? I want to have everybody talk about their deepest, darkest brokenness. <laughs> like, that is a stupid idea. He's like, no, I don't, I, I want to do that. So I want you to do that. I want you to lead them through that, that conversation. I'm like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, I want you to do that. I'm like, okay, but I, I don't, that's dumb. So we did it. <laughs> Melanie's in the second row. She's like, we did it. We went there. What we talked about was our core wounds, our core questions, our core brokenness can actually become the superpower by which we love the world, our partners in this case in the marriage conference. It can become the superpower by which we love them well. That is resurrection power. That's Jesus flipping the script. That is God taking everything we've ever been through and saying, I'm going to use that in your calling. I was reflecting on trying to you know, give examples. I mean, man, I, I had a whole two days of therapy. I'm exhausted because I was like using my story as an example. And you know, one of the wounds that I share is, you know, I have this all alone wound. I've shared that before. Like, you know, this thing that spins in the back, like maybe I'm kind of on my own, got to figure it out myself. Nobody's got my back, all that kind of stuff. And so that's all playing in the background all the time. And, and the funny part about that is there's that wound there. So what's happened is God has used that to heighten my sensitivity of all of our need to know that people walk the journey with us and the power of intimacy and relationship and community. That's what God has done. He's embedded through my woundedness a conviction about that. And so what's he done? He's called me to be a pastor where I create an intimate, loving, safe community. He has turned my brokenness into a superpower. And it's part of my calling, but it's out of my deepest wound. Come on now, is that great news? So when we talk about our calling, I'm, I'm going to tell you, we're praying for you. We know that it's not easy. And we're going to start like Paul did with Timothy to say, and the beginning of that conversation is that it is about embracing your story and how it got you right where you are emotionally, spiritually, geographically. Part of your story is part of your calling or your story is part of, of your calling. And I, I love the fact that he was talking about Lois and Eunice. 
that's super interesting. He's like, you got a family story. He goes, it started in your grandma. Which was the grandma, Lois or Eunice? Lois. Lois. Started with your grandma, Lois. And it's almost like implied between the, uh, uh, like between the lines. He's like, and I know you're not your grandma. I know your life's been different than your grandma. I know your faith isn't probably like your grandma. Any of you have a grandma of faith in this room? How many of you walk with God just like your grandma did? It's a little different, isn't it? Some things got passed down, but it's also a little different. So he's almost like identifying your unique story. You got your grandma Lois. You got your mom Eunice. And it's almost like if you're good friends, you're like, and I know you got issues with Eunice. Eunice is tough. Eunice can be hard. Like, Okay, now I'm not, I'm bringing too much to scriptures. My apologies. <laughs> but that could be what he's saying, right? He's saying, this is your story. You had grandma. Oh, what else did he not say? He didn't say in the story, your grandma and your grandpa. Like you come from a long line of men who are walking with Jesus. They're conspicuously absent. And maybe he's like, no, when Timothy struggles, like, is this a woman's faith thing? Eunice and Lois, that's one thing. My dad was like, nope. What does that do to his story and his heart for men and his own identity and masculinity? Like, right? Think about it. The point is, our calling starts that we have a story that got us to this very moment, warts and all, strengths and weaknesses, what our parents gave us and didn't give us, what happened to us, bad choices we made, good choices we made, investments that have paid off in all the right ways, and it's gotten us to where we are now, and it's part of being fully us in every room that we walk into. And so we embrace that, and the Lord uses it to serve him. So that's part of understanding our calling. Okay, I gotta, fin- I gotta, I gotta keep going. So, so you got a story that led you to this moment, and then he goes on to say, okay, and here's, and here's sort of his his. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His encouragement or, or his, uh, um, I don't know. There's a biblical word that I can't remember. Um, uh, exhortation, that was the word. Verse six, he says, so for this reason. For what reason? Well, that you have a faith that came from your story. For this reason, you're uniquely you. I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that's been given you. You got your story, now fan it into flame. And we want to tell you guys that we're to stoke the fire of our God-given gifts. You are to stoke the fire of your God-given gifts. Like, you actually stoke it. Like, you do the work. This is a place where we take some responsibility on our part. I like this picture. Look at this picture of the match lighting the fuse. Like, this is just a perfect image of I'm going to have to do something to ignite the gifts that God has put in me. I got people praying for me. We all know it's not going to be easy. Uh, uh, My story has led me to this point. Now, what do I do? (sighs) Fan the flame. Ignite the fuse. The gifts have been put in there, but I have some responsibility to this. We Stoke the flame. We activate our gifts. We get in touch. And what does it look like? We get in touch with our heart and our longings and our strengths and our passions and our stories. And we step out to love and serve people. And it ignites something in us and starts to clarify what our calling is. Now, everybody's calling is go love and serve people. Everybody's calling is die to yourself 
and love the world like Christ loved the world. But we ignite that by leaning into our relationship with God, by living holy lives, by not giving ourselves over to unrighteousness, like focusing on the truth of God's word, etc., etc., etc. We do that, and then God starts to steer us. And we ask Patrick and Alexis, like, how did you guys end up in Uganda again? And how did he change that? And you ended up in Kenya? Like, how does that happen? You go from, from PTA chair to living in a village and your children haven't worn shoes in eight months. Like, how does that happen? And they're like, well, I told God we wanted to give him our whole heart. And then we started praying for the work that God was doing around the world. And then somehow we started falling in love with Africa and we can't really explain it. And then we met these people that lived in the... Do you, do you hear the, the, the fire getting stoked? And then one night, late at night, and the lights were off, one of us said, what would it be like to live in Africa? Oh, don't ever do that. <laughs> and then they thought, we could go anywhere with Jesus. I love him that much. He's been that faithful to me. And they rehearsed that truth for a while. And you... You give a moose a muffin or whatever that book is, yeah. you, you, you give the Holy Spirit a little crack in the door, that's fanning into flame. That's lighting the fuse. We lean into what's true about God. We lean into what's true about our story. We lean into what's happening in our passions, and he'll lead us to who we need to be. So that's our responsibility to do that. What does it look like to fan the flame? What does it look like to go further down that road? There's a really famous passage about spiritual gifts in Romans, and Ben talked about spiritual gifts two weeks ago. If you didn't hear it, I'd love you to go catch up on that sermon. It was his last two, the two messages he just preached on this involved thing have been so good. But among other things, it expresses this idea. What does it look like to fan into flame? Like, to, like what does that look like? And Paul's talking about spiritual gifts to the Roman church, and, 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 and you maybe know these. This is about gifts here. It goes, for just as each of us has one body with many members, so all, and the members don't all have the same function, so in Christ, he's given the image. So in Christ, we're many people, but we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we're part of one body, but we each have different gifts. This is Romans 12, 6 I'm at now. We each have different gifts according to the grace that's been given us. We, we've been given something from God. It's been put inside us. Now, what does it look like to ignite that then? He goes, we've been given it, and, and it's inside us. He goes, listen to this. So if your gift is prophesying, in other words, if your gift is telling truth, tell the truth. By the grace that's been given to you. It's been given to you by grace, tell the truth. So if your gift is prophesying or telling the truth, tell the truth. If your gift is serving, serve. We're asking the question, what does it look like to fan into flame these, these gifts? He goes, if it's prophesying, uh, prophesy. If it's serving, uh, serve. If it's teaching, <laughs> if it's a, to encourage, encourage, give encouragement. Okay. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is... Paul going, I'm going to tell you what, there's been a gift that's been put inside of you, 
And if this is your gift, then fan it into flame. Do it. Exercise it. Get out there. Love and serve people. And this is the quality that it's going to be about. Um, the, 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 the next verse he goes, because here's what it is. For the Spirit of God, verse 7, for the Spirit of God uh, that God gave us does not make us timid. So you can get out there with the thing that he's put inside you and live it out because we do not have a spirit of fear. He said, but that spirit gives us, look at the three words, love, uh, power, love, and self-discipline. Now, if you're a scripture studier and I'm at the end of my time, so you can't, like, we're not, like, you gotta go, wait, what are those three words? Why those three words? Would those be the three words that you would say to Timothy? He goes, listen, if you got a calling, you go be you fully, you fan into flame. God's given it to you by grace. If it's teaching, go teach. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's, if it's giving, give generously. Like you fan it into flame. Your story, your passion, everything's led you to this moment. Now go do it and watch how it sort of explodes. He goes, cause you're gonna do it in power and love and self-discipline. It's a whole other sermon. Should I just, we got another half hour? Let's do it. Let's, no, we're not going to do it. Because, well, and here's my point. We walk into every room then with power and love and self-discipline given by the Holy Spirit. And those three words are really interesting. So how do you fan it into flame? How do you live out your calling? Well, your story led you to this moment right now with this job and these friends and these hobbies and these activities. And you walk into that room. Where are you going to be Monday morning at 11 a.m.? Think about that room. Where are you going to be Monday morning, 7.30 at night? Where are you going to be Tuesday at the lunch hour? All, all those. You walk into that room with your story, with your gifting. You walk in with the Holy Spirit who goes, I will give you power to be my person in this. I will give you love to love in that room like Christ loves that room. And I will give you self discipline. What? Did you, would you have added that one? What does that mean? He's like, you walk into that room and you are not living for yourself, which is the whole gospel that we die with Christ, that we might also live. So what do we do? Band, why don't you guys come out? I want you to, here's the takeaway. You're like, oh, I thought you were going to tell me how to get my calling. Yep, I did. Your story, your gifts, your sphere of influence add up to your calling. With all the pretty people walking behind me, let me say that again. Your story, how you got led to this point even with all of your brokenness your gifting that God has put inside you by his grace and your sphere of influence, which is where you're going to be tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. or tomorrow night at 7.30 or lunch hour on Tuesday and on and on. All of those things add up to you being you in that moment with all that God has given you, which is power and love and self-discipline and ministry of the kingdom happens through you. You're like, I know, but that's not Africa. That's not foster care. That's not, yeah, but you know what? It is San Rafael. And it's your sister and it's your children. 
It's your AA fellowship. It's student ministry. And as you walk into those things with your story and your gifts and love, power, and self-discipline, you crack that door open, that's your calling, and it might lead to Africa in some way or another. So church, the good news is you have everything you need to serve Jesus. The calling on your life is you being you in the deepest way by the power and the presence of the Spirit. Let's lean into that. And the song we're going to sing is so great. Anna picked it as she picked the worship set. You know, I don't have much, but I have a heart that beats for you, and I have a life that I will give you. And that's where we start. That's our prayer for you. And let's worship in response to that and tell them that today. Let's stand together.